One of my professors from undergrad used to use this quote that has just stuck with me over the years. He said, the shortest distance between two people is a story. Ever since humans have gathered, huddled around fires, stories have been the bedrock of community. They provide us with connection and continuity. One of the interesting things about stories is that they're generative. They continue to grow and evolve over time. The story I tell today may not be, and most likely isn't, the story I will tell tomorrow. New details emerge, new perspectives are formed, new experiences reshape. Other stories influence and interact, creating an expansive palette from which the storyteller creates. The Bible is no different. In it, we find thousands of stories of human emergence and interactions with the divine. But these thousands of stories are not static. No, they are dynamic and kinetic. They interact with each other and with the reader, creating infinite possibilities. This message marks the beginning of a new conversation for Fos, one that will have us exploring some of our most ancient stories and diving into the possibilities that are unearthed by retelling these stories. Often, when we hear stories told, we hear them from what is called the main version. Think back to Sunday school. You probably still remember the story about how God created the heavens and the earth, and then he created Adam and placed Adam in a garden called Eden. We hear the story so often that it's familiar to us. We've heard it so many times that we think we know it verbatim. But when we begin to pause for a moment, we look a little closer and we realize that the main version of the story is actually a conflation of two very different stories into one. In the opening chapters of Genesis, we actually have two stories about how the heavens and the earth came to be, stories with very distinct differences. The original compilers of these stories knew they were different stories, and they put them side by side in order to allow the reader to see their difference and allow those differences to be in dialogue with one another. By putting them side by side, a more expansive story comes forth. One that honors the poetry of Genesis 1 and revels in the intimacy of Genesis 2, where we see God breathe life into humanity and create life as a response to the need for connection. One story conveys an artist basking in the beauty of what has been created, and the other story conveys relationship forming. As the original compilers intended, it is good for us to read these stories together. We just want to remember that they are two stories and their distinctives are beautiful. I want to transition with a quote from Abraham Joshua Heschel. Words create worlds. We have this beautiful image of God speaking the cosmos as we know it into, into existence. And after every creative act, God pauses to admire the beauty of what has emerged. One of my favorite collection of books is The Chronicles of Narnia by C.S. Lewis. In the book, The Magician's Nephew, we have this beautiful scene where Aslan creates and brings life to Narnia by singing with every note that comes forth from his mouth, life spills forth. I cannot help but see the first story through this lens every time I read it. And it's an example of how stories bump into one another, creating more expansive stories as they go. I just wanna share a few more thoughts 
on two images found in the opening passages of Genesis, water and dirt. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. The opening words of Genesis, the first book of the Bible, open with a bold claim. God is over the deep. God is above the water. God is over the chaos. God is not consumed by it. In ancient cultures, and much of the time when we read it in the biblical narrative, water is representative of chaos. It represents the great unknown. We are not so different from the ancients. I think even in light of our Western rationalization for life, water still represents the unknown. It still represents chaos. Dan Stillman says, we have better maps of the surface of Mars and the moon than we do at the bottom of the ocean. We know very, very, very little about the ocean. I lived for five years in Hawaii, and I lived a short distance from some of the most beautiful beaches in the world. I can count on one finger the amount of times I actually went into the ocean when I lived there. I loved going to the beach, especially at night. Everything was black, and you could hear the waves crashing upon the shore, but you couldn't see anything. For me, this was a visceral experience. I could feel the chaos of the ocean. I could hear the chaos. And it was in those moments, more than any other, I regretted my fear of what lurked in the waters, or at least what lurked in my imagination of the waters. The one time that I braved the chaos and I ventured out into the ocean waters was a dark moonless night, which I'm told is actually the most dangerous time to be in the ocean. But I didn't care. I had convinced myself that I was gonna venture into the chaos. This night created one of the most vivid memories I have of Hawaii. There is something that happens when we step into the chaos, we face the risk of being consumed by it, but we also tap into the possibility of seeing something new formed. Most of us do not remember the safe moments of life. The stories that we tell over and over again are the ones where things got a little bit crazy. We remember the stories when we hovered over the face of the deep. Somehow chaos has this innate possibility of making us feel alive. And God said, let the waters underneath the heavens be gathered together into one place and let dry land appear. And it was so. And God called the dry land earth and the waters that were gathered together he called seas. And God saw that it was good. Dirt is about emerging from chaos. It is about finding something sustaining in the midst of chaos. Greg Mobley says it this way, chaos is the raw material of creation. The first thing I notice in this passage is that the waters of chaos do not disappear with the emergence of dry land. Chaos and order coexist within creation and God calls this good. Dirt is about place, it is about location, is it about, it's about that thing that literally grounds us in the midst of chaos. This is a great place where the second story bumps into the first in a beautiful way. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he placed the man whom he had formed. God creates 
a man from dirt. To translate Adam literally would be to call him dusty. In the second story, the author just moves on from this point and begins to talk about all the things that God goes on to create after he creates a man. But when we read this second story, contrasted to the first, God creating man from dirt has a poetic echo to it. God creates Dusty from the same substance that God brought order from. And Dusty's purpose was to continue ordering creation on behalf of God. In the midst of the waters of chaos, God brings forth dirt. And from the dirt, God creates Dusty. And on this dirt, God places humanity to participate in the continued creative process. Walter Brueggemann says this about God and chaos. When the community of Israel returns to those deep symbols, they will discern that hope is not a late, tacked-on hypothesis to serve in the middle of crisis, but rather a primal dimension of every memory that this community has. The memory of this community begins in God's promissory address to the darkness of chaos. Life will be chaotic, but we will not be overcome by chaos. God does not leave us adrift in the seas of chaos, but rather grounds us. I think that is why for most of us, location is so important. Chaos is manageable when it's in the right place, in the sea. The problem that we face is what happens when chaos is displaced. When chaos escapes the sea and the waters begin to threaten and encroach and consume the dirt. So in the midst of a worldwide pandemic, we still have hope because God is not yet done addressing the darkness of chaos. God is calling us to brave the unknown, to step into the places where we see the chaos present. But we also see the possibility that is present there as well. When we hover over the face of the deep, we are certain to be greeted by the unknown. And that is a scary proposition. But we will also be greeted by the possibility of beauty, the possibility of something new. This is what FOS is. It's an invitation to have faith that something new can emerge, something beautiful can come forth, that our stories will collide and bump into one another like atoms exploding into new life. May we come to see the interconnectedness of our stories and the possibility that is unearthed when we allow them to expand our existence.